0: everybody it is friday march 29th 2019 and you are listening to the salvage title podcast As always, I'm your host, Brad Isolake, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, we are going to discuss some news, leaks, teases, whatever you want to call them, uh, from the forthcoming New York Auto Show. That kicks off on Tuesday, April 2nd. Uh, We'll talk about some news from Hyundai, Kia, as well as Ford. Uh, Some of them, at least one of those models, uh, is going to largely be a big volume seller so some some interesting things to kind of think about before the news is actually here Uh, in the car culture segment i wanted to talk about car restoration services a lot of car companies have gotten into the game as classic cars have popularized i don't know what you want to say nevertheless just like mercedes bmw and many other car companies nissan is getting into the game uh, with some new restoration parts so just kind of Think about that and what other companies are going to start getting this because I think we are on the precipice of a huge wave of this thing uh, starting to happen uh, because of the 25-year import ban being lifted on a lot of very popular cars. And then last up, a car that's on my mind, uh, thanks in part to my good friend Tony, uh, I got to take his Tesla Model 3 out for a drive, so some reflections on that particular car, uh, thinking about Teslas in general, um, I know I'm a critic of the company sometimes, but they do make one hell of a product, so we'll talk about that. Uh, this is the portion of the show, of course, where I remind you that this show is done on a, uh free basis on a wide variety of podcasting platforms including apple itunes spotify google podcasts and so much more so if you could give our podcast a subscribe if you're not subscribed already please do uh if you could give us a rating if you're on a platform that lets you do that uh that really helps us out a lot we actually got a new sponsor this past week uh, so hopefully you will have heard that ad somewhere in the show uh but anyway guys after the bump and after a little ad break uh let's talk about some car news Well, guys, kicking things off in the auto news section, I wanted to talk for a moment about what Hyundai and Kia have lined up for the New York Auto Show. Uh, Both Hyundai and Kia are in talks, or talking, or acknowledging, whatever you want to say about it, uh, with some new small crossovers coming to the U.S. by the end of the year. Uh, Kia, interestingly enough, just pulled the wraps off the SP Signature concept over in Korea earlier this week. Uh, That particular model is based off a concept uh, that was initially designed for the Indian market, and executives apparently like this car so much uh, that they are planning on releasing it worldwide. The SP Signature Concept is a pretty swoopy, angular, still somewhat curvy small crossover from Kia. Um, It's got the traditional tiger nose styling up front. Uh, It has some interesting telluride like styling. uh, Nods are the word I'm going to use in its overall look, Um, but it's definitely much more curvy than the telluride overall. It being a subcompact crossover, it is smaller than, say, a Kia Sportage, um, but it's not going to be quite as small, perhaps, it's hard to say, uh, than the Kia Soul. Now, speaking of the Kia Soul, that's going to give this vehicle some interesting problems here in the U.S. Uh, Kia has been relatively successful with the Soul for quite some time because it kind of walks a weird line between being an economy car and being a small crossover. With the X-Trim that was added to the Soul this year, they are definitely acknowledging that as a fact, giving the Soul some more crossover, off-roady-type styling cues, This SP Signature concept, on the other hand, is definitely a crossover. It rides up a decent bit higher. It's got a more imposing stature, I guess I would say, compared to the Soul. And if they're going to bring it here to the US, I'm not 100% sure how Kia is going to bridge that gap between the Soul, the SP, uh, likely going to be called the Tusker, and the Sportage. Um, you know, if you tick that all-wheel drive box, you know the it now could potentially pull sales away from the uh sportage. If you make it front wheel drive only and you make it too cheap, it could potentially pull sales away from the uh from the Soul. It's it's kinda tough to say where that's gonna work. Uh it is kind of interesting to also note that the Soul is sold in a lot of other places worldwide, but it has never been quite as successful anywhere else as it is here in the United States. Uh, I am wondering to some extent if the Tusker SP, whatever they call this thing, uh if it's going to be kind of that Soul type vehicle for many other markets all across the world. We'll kind of wait and see. I'm just excited to say that there's going to be something new out there to talk about beyond just the Soul for Kia. They're, they've been on a roll with a lot of their new products, but, you know, it's a little more confusing, to say the least. Now over at Hyundai, uh, Kia's sister company, uh they have announced a new vehicle announcement for the New York Auto Show and that is the new Venue uh that will be available at the end of 2019 and into early 2020. Uh this is the first new Kia Hyundai whatever type crossovery thing that is going to not use a North American city name uh, for its crossover. Uh, There was, of course, been the uh, Tucson, the Santa Fe, uh, the Palisade, many things like that. Uh, This new uh, Hyundai is going to be called the venue because they are targeting it towards urban young people who are looking to have these fun urban lifestyles. They like to go to music venues and other type of hip Spots to hang out, and so they want to make this car a hip spot to commute and hang out. Uh, Kia is also, or excuse me, Hyundai is also saying that this is going to be a very square, stylized vehicle, it's going to have a much more urbanized, uh, kind of tough personality thing. So, think more Jeep Renegade than Fiat 500X when it comes to style, Um, but it's still likely going to carry some nods and touches that, uh, look at what the Santa Fe has right now, what the new Palisade has coming, uh, to include with this vehicle. At least the rear end teaser, uh, indicates that it does have a flat back panel, um, but it's got some swoopy lights, so who knows what this thing's gonna look for. I guess that's maybe what most excites me about this vehicle, is that, uh, wrapping my brain around Palisade and Santa Fe style elements in a square body as opposed to a rounded body is a weird thing, But, uh, you know, maybe Hyundai called on the nice folks over at Kia to uh, show them how they did the Telluride, because I think the Telluride is, without a doubt, one of the best-looking new cars out there in 2019, and that is a very square crossover. So, somebody at Kia and Hyundai are doing a really good job with that. Now again, this is going to be a subcompact crossover. It's going to be based on a smaller version of the Hyundai Kona platform. Whether or not this Hyundai comes only with front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive or a combination of both kind of remains to be seen, Uh, but I think more than likely Hyundai is probably expecting to sell a lot of these in upper trim levels with front-wheel drive and an automatic, uh, especially if they're targeting it to urban young folks. Uh, Pricing on this obviously not known, uh, but if it's going to be smaller than a Kona, it's a good bet that it's going to be less. Uh, probably where the Kona starts around $20,000, if this starts around seventeen, eighteen, dollars uh I think that would probably be a fair bet, and what is interesting at that price point is that you're starting to step on the toes of the Hyundai Accent. Now, the Hyundai Accent got a refresh about a year ago, and I would say that that car looks pretty darn good, and it's been pretty well-reviewed, but whether or not Hyundai thinks that that's a model that they want to keep around, uh, perhaps not. Maybe this new Kona platform is much easier to do things with than that one, and uh, they're going to kind of swipe it under the rug, so we'll see. Pretty excited about what they have to announce, but uh, we won't know anything more about it until it sounds like Tuesday next week. Speaking of Tuesday, uh, our friends over at Ford Motor Company also have a vehicle that they're going to be announcing, and that is the new 2020 Ford Escape. Uh, The new Escape is going to be based on the new small C-segment platform that underpins the Ford Focus internationally, and at least based on spy shots, photos, and even the teaser image that was posted uh, earlier today, uh, this thing really (laughs) likely looks like it's going to be a slightly elongated and uh, taller version of the Ford Focus wagon. Uh, Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? I, you know, I'm a man of two things here. I, one, blame the Escape for killing the Ford Focus here in the U.S. because the Escape has continually been a strong seller, whereas the Focus dipped off for quite some time. Uh, That is, of course, in part to the fact that they never really updated the Focus here, and they didn't give us the new Focus, and that is a huge problem. That being said, this new Escape basically being... The European market focus on slightly taller stilts uh, is a good thing because the new European Focus is a very good car and I'm very excited to see it uh, on sale here in the U.S., at least in some small capacity. So what should we expect of this vehicle? Well, I imagine it's not going to change much in size, uh, either bigger or smaller. If anything, I would expect Ford to have decreased its overall size just a little bit without compromising too much of the interior space as the outgoing Escape was already kind of small on the inside to begin with. Uh, Overall, I think it's going to be a pretty well-done vehicle with new modern Ford touches. Uh, I'm going to be really curious to see how they handle the interior materials because at least the new Ford Ranger was a little bit of a disappointment on that front. Uh, But that of itself is also based on an older design, so who knows what's really going to happen. Uh, powertrain-wise, you know, it's going to have a four-cylinder engine, more than likely. Uh, I would be willing to bet it's going to be some kind of EcoBoost setup, probably a 1.3 or 1.4 liter turbocharged unit as the base one, and probably a larger 2 liter turbo as the top trim engine. Uh, what I'm really curious about is whether or not Ford is going to announce an ST model for this. Uh, of course, Ford has slapped the ST badge on the, uh, edge on the Explorer, and having, uh, a Escape ST, I think, is somewhat of an inevitable outcome in this, uh, day and age that we live in. Uh, because these bones are based on the Ford Focus, and we do know what the Focus ST is, More than likely, it will just be the Focus ST bits going underneath this crossover. What I'm kind of curious about is whether or not this vehicle is going to get that all-wheel drive system that debuted in the old Ford Focus RS, but has now proliferated into a large number of vehicles, uh, not just within Ford, but like GM and many other uh, companies use that same basic setup. Uh, That system had a pretty interesting torque vectoring technology that was in it, and it would be able to send power from the front to the rear without you really noticing. I don't know if it's going to have the full capability of what the Ford Focus RS had, uh, but at least in the capacity of what, like, the Chevy tra- or, uh, Excuse me, the Chevy Blazer, not the Trailblazer, has, has um, seems probably fairly likely for this vehicle. Um, when is it going to go on sale? Pfft, I don't know. Probably the end of the year is probably a safe bet, um, maybe later this summer, who knows? The escape that's here right now has been around quite literally forever. Uh it has not aged particularly well. I don't know if you've gotten in a recent Ford escape uh in the past couple of months, but like compared to the Honda CRV, the new Toyota RAV4, uh the new uh Hyundai crossovers, many others, uh it's bad, man. It's real bad. And Ford's gotta act fast uh to try to get themselves propped back up in this marketplace. Um but you know Like I said, it's a sacrifice that we had to make to get a Focus here, and if it's basically going to be a much taller, much bigger Ford Focus, I guess I'm not super upset about it. Uh, But news to come, I suppose, next week, Tuesday, uh, among many other uh, announcements that will likely come in New York. I'm genuinely curious to see if we hear anything from Cadillac about what their new EV crossover is. Uh, I'm really curious to know if Chevrolet is going to be showing off this new uh, EV that they apparently have planned uh, to be built at the Hamtramck assembly plant. I am definitely uh, interested to see what else comes out of some of these uh, other automakers. Uh, Fiat, I think, is one that, uh, excuse me, FCA, the whole company, uh, if they bring over the EV concepts or the plug-in hybrid concepts for the uh, Jeep Renegade and the Jeep Compass, There's lots of international debuts that I think we might see here in the not-too-distant future, but that being said, it's still a week out, and uh, some companies do like to keep the cards pretty close to their chest. So, that's about it for the news, and uh, after the bump and perhaps a short little ad break, we'll talk about some car culture stuff. So, over here in the car culture segment, I wanted to touch on the idea of vehicle restoration. And it's not exactly an easy thing to do. Uh, My dad has been working on restoring, in our quotes, uh, his 1968 Chevy Camaro for what feels like the last two decades. Um, It's not exactly the easiest process in the world because it does cost a lot of money, it does take a lot of time, and there are a lot of things where, you know, you need attention to detail, but you also need to just get it done. Uh, One of the more interesting things that's kind of popped up in the past decade or so, give or take, has been the idea of factory uh, restorations that are supported by the manufacturers themselves. Now, this has a wide range of options available to whomever's getting the work done or doing the work themselves uh, that, you know, can start at the most basic of things. That You can go to a specific automaker uh, and they are different websites and you can buy a replacement part for your car that is made brand new within the last year or two to fit on a car that was made, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, There are bigger gaps that you can kind of jump into there where you can buy, uh, relative recreations of an old classic car, um, from an older manufacturer. Uh, Ford sells body and white versions of the old Mustangs, uh, from the early to mid-60s that you can buy and modify and, uh, create yourself, uh, into what exactly you want it to be. Um, you can also go to car companies like, uh, Jaguar, uh, Aston Martin, they are building classic versions, modernized classic versions of their old cars for obscene amounts of money. Those technically aren't exactly restorations, they're more continuations of an older model uh, that are really, I think, only made for track use, but that kind of varies depending on what we're talking about. Uh, But what gets interesting, at least today, uh, has been the emergence of full factory restorations that can be done. Uh, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, BMW, and several other car companies uh, will actually rebuild your car for you for what I assume to be a pretty extensive cost, um, but in that thing they're using those old restoration parts. They're using all of the tools, kind of going up, up the process to doing that. And one more car company has joined the fray. That in particular is Nissan. Uh, Nissan is going to kind of start down on that bottom end of things right now. Uh, Nissan announced that they are going to be selling uh, reproduction parts for the Nissan Skyline, uh, particularly the R32, the R33, and the R34 models, uh, arguably the most popular of the Nissan Skyline models, uh, due in part to the explosion of popularity of these cars and games like Gran Turismo, Forza Motorsport, and so much more. Uh, the parts they are going to be on offer right now are only available in Japan. Um, they do come with a fairly, I don't want to say heavy price, but not exactly an unaffordable price. Uh, and there are only a few select parts to begin with. Uh, most of them center around the RB2060ETT uh, when it comes to the engine. So they offer uh, reproduction engine blocks uh, of a base specification and an N1, higher performance specification. Those, I think, start at like the equivalent of like 1800 to $2,000. Um, now, they only ship within Japan right now, but if you know the right people, you can get them shipped here to the U.S., Uh, They also offer roof panels and rear quarter panels for the Skylines, uh, as well as some interesting wiring harness and uh, windshield wiper assembly things. Sounds like Nissan's kind of just touching on things that they know tend to be problematic with these cars, uh, things that would be needed to be restored. And, you know, with these cars starting to get snapped up by American collectors, I think Nissan's kind of going, hey, we got to we got to fill some holes within our own market, but I think, and if I'm a conspiracy theorist here, I think it's because they know a lot of people here in the U.S. are going to start asking for reproduction parts, uh, en masse, and they're going to try to bring them here, uh, because with that 25-year import ban up, a lot more of these classic, collectible Japanese performance cars are going to start making their way to the United States, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know, I, I think it's really cool that Nissan is kind of getting into this, and I'm I'm really interested to see if they start offering more and more parts uh, beyond just the Skyline, if they start doing stuff for the uh, Stagia, or I'm not pronouncing that right, or the Pulsar, or uh, even the old classic Z cars, I think would be a big opportunity for many other parts of the world, uh, not just Japan, but Europe and the US, where they sold thousands and thousands and thousands of these cars and they're not exactly the most reliable of vehicles but having factory specification uh you know parts would go a long way to lend these cars some credibility when it comes to showing them off at car shows and things like that uh, which has been a big deal for mercedes-benz uh, you know just to kind of circle back to that for one moment uh, mercedes-benz not only restores these cars they also sell them back to the public so you can go on their website and inquire about how much these things cost but they sell retouched versions of these old cars for quite a bit of money and they are either collectible spec where you know it's something that you own something you drive or concourse spec where it's really only meant for auto shows you don't want to do anything more to it um And that's pretty cool. So back to the Japanese aspect of things, and speaking of the 25-year import ban, I think the question really becomes, is this going to become a much more common thing? And my guess is yes. With all these cars coming to the U.S., uh, not necessarily in huge numbers, but, you know, for the collectors that have money, people who are interested in these things, this is a big emerging market. And for car companies in Japan to not take advantage of this, I think is a little short-sighted, to say the least, Uh, I would not be surprised to see Honda join these ranks in the not-too-distant future. Uh, Honda does have a lot of very high-quality, very well-respected, very popular vehicles that I think they're going to want to supply parts for in the not-too-distant future, Uh, namely big number one is the NSX. Uh, having those restoration parts for the n s x uh would be huge because I mean yes, there is a huge aftermarket parts uh thing, but it's not exactly like there are a lot of these cars to begin with to pull door panels, roofs, uh, rear quarter panels, stuff like that off of, and I think Honda could definitely make some decent amounts of money there. I'd also be curious if they would start supplying those parts for the engines and transmissions. Uh, Not to say that those engines were all that different from what was available in a TL and an RL at that point in time, but there were some higher spec parts included, and uh, I think they're going to want to support that. Who gets in after Nissan and Toyota? That's a little bit harder to say. You know, Toyota was smart, over all these years, they've always had carryover bits and pieces between a lot of their vehicles. So parts are relatively easy to find for their cars until you really start digging deep into the uh the weird mess of vehicles that were available in Asia, uh Australia and otherwise. Um, so I can't imagine Toyota's going to do it quite yet, and they're a pretty historically conservative company. Uh, if they do it, it would probably just be for the Supra to begin with, maybe the Celica after the fact, but because they sold so many of both of those cars here in the U.S. with largely the same parts that they used in Japan, I can't imagine that they're going to jump into that right now. Mazda's another one where I go, uh, maybe. Uh, Mazda does have a lot of support and a lot of love for the RX-7, Uh, but whether or not they, they do full restoration things, again, we didn't get the good, in air quotes, RX-7s here, um, but again, with the 25-year import ban, if a lot start making their way over, and I think they will, uh, that might be some kind of opportunity for them, so I don't know, but at least this is a start, and it's a start with a very good model that has a very strong following and already has a lot of cars being imported here, Uh, I have shown interest in the past of doing an import of an R33 Skyline, uh, not with the RB26, but with a more standard two and a half liter, uh, straight six, uh, and the basic four-wheel drive system, but, uh... In lieu of another thing we'll talk about here in a second, I'm kind of letting that go in the, uh, sense of getting something new, but if you're interested in bringing over an old Japanese classic car, have you looked at, like, how much parts cost? Have you looked at kind of what kind of repairs would need to be done on it? Do you know what you'd be doing in that? Uh, I'd be curious to hear if you've got some experience in that kind of regard. Uh, Hit me up on Twitter at YSSMAN, or leave us a line here at Anchor.fm at uh, anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. I'd really appreciate it. So last up. In lieu of a car that's on my mind segment, I wanted to talk for a little bit about my experience driving a Tesla Model 3. My friend Tony was gracious enough to invite me out to his house and, uh, we took his Model 3 for a little drive through, uh, the area in which we kinda grew up. Uh, Some of these, uh, rough and tumble country roads with some, uh places where you can get up to speed and hang around for a little bit, toss it through some corners, so on and so forth. And, uh, I really have to thank Tony again for letting me do that. Uh, it was a game-changing experience for me, and it has, uh, unfortunately warped my sensibilities on what I think is good or bad, uh, when it comes to a, buying a new car today. Uh, just kind of sticking with the basics here for a moment. If you don't know what a Tesla Model 3 is, how dare you? Secondly, uh, it's an entry-level luxury sedan, um, not unlike a BMW 3 Series. Similar size, similar level of performance, uh, similar level of price. Uh, Tony's particular model is a uh, Model 3 mid-range uh, model, so it has uh, a little more power, a little more battery capacity. I think it's like 62-ish kilowatt hours. It uh, can go about 260 miles of range. It can accelerate from 0 to 60, and I think it's under 5 seconds. Uh... More or less, I think he said what I would expect if I was to order a Model 3 in the most basic trim. The only thing that would be different between that car and this car would be the interior where he's got the upgraded uh, luxury trim interior, but everything else is pretty much the same in every other Model S and, excuse me, Model 3, and uh, that's pretty darn cool, and it's a smart way to do things for uh, Elon and Tesla uh, to kind of control costs on each of the cars that are going out. Now, getting into the car, you know, normal door handles, it's a big thing. It's a good, good thing compared to what the Model S is. Uh, They've had a lot of problems with their door handles on those cars. Uh, The Model 3 sought to kind of alleviate that problem a little bit. Uh, You sit down in the seats, uh, controls, everything are near enough exactly what you'd expect them to be. I believe these do use some parts bin things from uh, Mercedes to some extent, but for the most part, you know, it feels like a normal car. The only big difference is the big center-mounted touchscreen on the dash uh, that, you know, operates the climate control, operates your maps, operates your music, so on and so forth. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of time messing around with it, but it's pretty intuitive. It works pretty well. It would take a little bit of time for me to get used to not having uh, everything kind of in front of me instead to the side, but it didn't really take long for me to adjust to it, and I think most people would be pretty happy with that. Seats were very comfortable. They were easy to move to my specifications. Uh, One thing that I'm curious about is how the manually operated seats in the base trim Model 3 would work compared to these ones in the more premium interior. Uh, That's not exactly a deal-breaker in any sense of the words, but not having the power memory options in it, I think, would be kind of unfortunate, especially if you're swapping drivers from time to time, because it is kind of annoying to change things here and there by yourself. Uh, another thing that's pretty interesting about this car, and one thing that I had been curious about, was the, uh, air vents and how they flow. Uh, it works great. You just kind of use your finger on the screen to direct the air where you feel like it needs to be, and, uh, it does it like magic. Uh, It looks great. It works great. Um, I I would definitely also say this. The seat heaters uh, warm you up pretty damn quick. Uh, I haven't experienced seat heaters that have worked that fast before, and maybe it's because I had just the right amount of clothing to have a very hot butt and back uh, pretty quickly, Uh, but uh, I, I came away very impressed with the overall fit and finish of the interior, the look, everything like that. But what really is the game changer with the Model 3 is the way in which it drives. Uh, The steering is weighted quite well uh, in the standard steering mode. Um, I didn't try the uh, more eco comfort setting, uh, but, you know, it works great. It feels like a normal car. Uh, In sport mode, it's heavy in the right way. It doesn't feel like it's trying to fake it too much. Um, Now, granted, I wasn't putting this car out on a racetrack. That's an entirely different experience. But on the road, it rides really well, steers really well. Um, one thing that I noticed was that the regenerative braking uh, in its most aggressive mode was perhaps a little too aggressive for me. Um, that's a thing that you know can be customized to your taste, uh, but that also is because I'm used to driving uh, an internal combustion car where you let off pretty early and you kind of coast to a stop versus when you coast in an electric car, you're trying to create energy out of that. And Teslas, in particular, uh, want to recapture as much of that energy as possible. Uh, so that that took a moment to get used to. By the end of the drive, I was very much used to it. But uh, I could definitely tell that uh, it was a little herky-jerky for Tony uh, riding in the passenger seat at times uh, just because I was so used to just letting my foot all the way off the gas uh, instead of kind of easing out to uh, use that regen to the best of its ability. Uh, but th- I think the big thing and I think the thing that most people know about Teslas are the way in which they accelerate, um being a single spear or excuse me, a single speed drive, um basically being a one-to-one-ish unit, trick give or take, uh with the electric motor, uh gives this car the ability to have Power, unlike anything other, Uh, torque is at its maximum capacity from zero RPM, uh, and as such, from a stop, when you put your foot to the floor, uh, the car takes off in a way that uh, I've never really experienced before. Uh, Even from rolling starts, or even accelerating from like 45 to 60 or 70 miles an hour, this car just, whoa just takes off, and you know, I've driven Porsches, I've driven big motor Chevys, I've I've been in so many different things that have technically more torque than this, but because you don't have to wait for the engine to build up to it, um, this car just in a snap just goes just to where you gotta go, and (laughs) when we were driving, I did an audible what the fuck, Uh, like full out being so surprised by what this car could do that uh, it just blew me away. Uh, in every way possible, and I just, it's a standard with which I don't think I'm ever going to be able to match unless I drive another Tesla. The other weird thing that, uh, I think I now kind of understand that a lot of EV drivers really like is the lack of engine noise. Um, you know, sitting at a stoplight, not hearing anything, not feeling the rumble from a gas engine, uh, not having that loud noise of another vehicle next to you or whatever, uh, was kind of cool, and it's different, and, again, I think it would take some getting used to as somebody who's had an internal combustion engine all their life, but I think I could forget about it pretty quick, um, the car had a pretty nice stereo system in it. Uh, you know, it really, uh, insulated you from other road noises pretty well. Um, and hearing that electric motor kind of spool up and slow down was always kind of a cool effect too. Uh, in the end, uh, you know, I just, I came away so impressed by this Model 3. Um, I definitely feel like I need to figure out a way to get one for myself, uh, whether it is used or brand new. Um, the, cheaper, in air quotes, Model 3s are being... I don't know if they're being built. If They're they're definitely being ordered, to say the least. Um, They're out there, so, you know, if you've got $40,000 burning a hole in your pocket, uh, you can get a base trim model with a couple of options pretty easily, it sounds like. Uh, I'm definitely considering it myself. Um, It definitely does make me want to drive a few other EVs to kind of compare it, but I think, in general... Uh, your boy here wants to get a Tesla within the next year or so. So we'll have to see if they come around to doing, uh, leasing programs, if they come around to doing other things like that. Uh, but, uh, just absolutely blown away with the car, absolutely blown away with its ease of use, its drivability, and, you know, hearing Tony talk about how easy it is to live with one day to day when it comes to charging and, uh, plugging in at his house or plugging in at any other place where he's driving it, um... Really is pretty cool, and it's definitely encouraging to know uh, that it is quite easy uh, to go about doing that. So, once again, thanks to Tony for letting me drive his car. Uh, If you've had a chance to drive a Tesla, uh, it's a game changing thing. So, if you know somebody uh, that has one, you know, ask. That's always a good thing to do. Uh, Reach out to Tesla if you live in a town that has a dealership. uh, You can go for some preview drives, things like that. Um, It's definitely worth looking into. So, I'd highly, highly Recommend it. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett Ezzelike, and you can follow me on Twitter at YSSMAN. And you can follow along with episodes of the show at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. As I said up at the top of the show, we make this podcast available on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So make sure you hit that subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. And, uh, you know, if they offer the chance for you to give us a rating, uh, please do. That does help us get seen by more uh, people who are interested in this show. Another news, guys, uh, spring seems to have sprung. Uh, I saw robins the other day. We're seeing cardinals again. The geese have arrived here in Michigan. Uh, warm weather is nearly here. So, if you're in an area that's going to have some sunshine, some warm weather, uh, make sure you go out and enjoy it. Uh, I know I plan to later this afternoon. In other news, guys, uh, that's always a good opportunity to remember uh, to go out to your car, check your tire pressure, maybe wipe off your headlights, uh, do some of that spring cleaning in your car interior, uh, because I know my car needs that right now, and uh, I'll be doing that hopefully later this weekend. Anyway, guys, speaking of the weekend, I hope you have a great one, and we will see you next week on the Salvage Title Podcast. See you then. Don't matter, you don't know